There's just so much more to hear. Download our podcasts at DubaiEye1038.com. So how can books help us have a truly happy new year? The Bookshelf, what you should be reading. We are looking at a stack of books to help with our New Year's resolutions on the show today. And reviewing one of them right now with us is Michelle Escander. Michelle, welcome to the show. Hello, thank you for having me. So Michelle there, he is a Saudi Arabian MC, stand-up comedian and core improv troupe member with the Dubai-based group Dubomedy. He also loves autobiographies. I, I wanted to just fill that in there with walks on the beach in the moonlight and... It takes other, long walks on the beach. And, yeah, yeah, it feels like I need to fill in some other things there. So, favorite autobiography, just while we're chatting. Uh, I know I put you on the spot now. No, no, no. I think uh, uh, at least the one from the recent ones that I read, the Creative Inc. Um, it's about the founder of Pixar. I, I really, really enjoyed that one. It was a very. I think it's a. It's it's a book about something that we watch a lot, and uh, we probably miss out on what's happening behind the scenes. So I really enjoyed that. I think I think it's interesting that you say that you like autobiographies because it's like the it's the one genre that I've always really struggled with. What about you, Flora? I read fiction more than anything else, but mm. the, the right autobiography is fascinating. I've read Bob Dylan's and um, Bruce Springsteen's. Bit of a fan. I think it just it needs to be about something that you are genuinely interested in and a person that you're genuinely interested mm. in. Otherwise, you know, w- what's the appeal really? Yeah, I, I think what what I find really interesting is that uh, all like these people that we read about are were at some point like regular people. And regular se- people, <laughs> you, you yeah. know, like before they become famous or something. It's just a series of decisions or mistakes that happen. And for me, that's very interesting. You get to see. Um, um, what happened? Even uh, uh, the one about Je- uh, about Jeff Bezos. Again, like you see, the regular people maybe doing regular jobs, and then it's a series of things that happened that you know made them who they are. So for me, that's what I find the most interesting. I think everyone loves a good origin story. Yeah. Um, so, Amongst Guides to Happiness. That's the book that you're here to talk to us about today. Yes. And it's not an autobiography. It is a guide, uh, a user manual for how to be happy happy and healthy mentally in 2020 so it's definitely a useful one to check out but it does have moments of autobiography in it as well yes. because Gelong Tubton's the author and he literally practices what he preaches before we go any further can you tell us a little bit about the author um, I think he has a really interesting story because uh, just like we were saying actually in autobiographies he he spoke about his uh, previous life I mean before he became a monk he was a person who um, uh, had a lot of uh, anxiety had a, you know he didn't know where he was he didn't connect with anything and it just reached to a limit that he couldn't handle anymore um, and for me uh, that made it very interesting because uh, you see his journey slowly as uh, uh, he speaks about okay and then it was his mother that helped him make the decision that um, okay then you know maybe you need to resort to something different clearly whatever it's you're doing right now is not working and that starts his journey into meditation and he goes to the monastery in Scotland so for me, um, uh, he touches on that in the book, and I think it's it's very interesting. You get a um, a look of uh, uh, someone who was going through something, and he, especially it was a lot of mental problems. I think when it comes to like a mental kind of situation, you don't see it visually, so you don't you might not assess it uh, as correctly as you know um, something on your body. But clearly, it reached to a point where he couldn't handle it anymore. Yeah, and I think it's really interesting his his story because he was an actor, so he was obviously yes. someone really outgoing, really vivacious, really kind of grabbing life by, you know, with both hands. And I think it's fascinating to see how he's changed his his outlook and his behaviour without changing who he 
is inside. I think if that makes sense um, from reading the book, you get the sense that he was always this very um, sort of outgoing, charismatic person. I think he's obviously retained the, the, the way that he seems to teach and the way that he seems to talk to people. Clearly, has that same sort of empathy and and and, and um, interest in the world and interest in people. Yeah, yeah exactly. I think I think what I'd like us to start talking about in a bit more detail is how integral meditation is, the discussion of meditation and how important that is throughout the book, um, because it is quite a practical book. It's it's interesting to read about his life and where he's coming from, because you realize that you're being spoken to by somebody who who has who's gone through quite an ordeal to get to the level yes. of, of wisdom that they're mm-hmm. at and that they're sharing with you. Um, but there are various meditation practices throughout the book. What, what did you think? What did you think of it before you picked it up? I mean, did it meet your expectations? Did it exceed them? Have you tried meditation before? Um, honestly, one of the things that I liked about the book is because I believe me, like many people, had a misconception about meditation. When I think of meditation, I imagine you have to go to a like a dark room and you're disconnected from reality and you have to switch off your mind and float or something like that, you know? <laughs> and this, this, this Levitation was, meditation. Yeah, yeah. And this, this really was, and, and for me as a person who I think I'm very easily distracted and, you know, he talks about a person on average in a day has 80,000 thoughts a day. Mm. I think for me that's in one hour is what I get. <laughs> And having that, like, I, I, for me, it was something like distant. I can never achieve it. I've never even thought about it. So having read this book, what I like the most is that he debunks these myths and he even approaches it in a very simple way. And he starts by saying, um, if you are thinking like this, you're thinking about a person in a coma, not as someone meditating, because like you cannot switch off your mind. You can't just eliminate all thoughts. But rather than that, he, he tries to tell you how you can kind of um, interact with these thoughts in a gentle way to accept them. Um, so for me, uh, besides debunking the myths um, and giving you a very easy guide, very like something without buying any f- fancy equipments, you can be in the car, you can be at home. So I actually, I did it for the first time after reading the book. I started, I tried meditation for um, like one minute the first time, but then the next time it, I increased to like two, yeah. three minutes. Um, and honestly, it was like a game changer for me. I really enjoyed it. And it's something that I definitely integrate into or try to integrate into my life right now. I think that's brilliant. And it's exactly what um, Tubton is is saying throughout the book. He's saying, you know, this is something you can integrate into life. You can make it part of your routine. And it is, as you say, about allowing your, your thoughts, not about shutting them off. I love the uh, metaphor he has for it being like your your mind is like the sea and your thoughts are like the waves. The sea is, is permanent, but the waves will pass and all the sky and clouds. I thought that was a great way of, of, of showing right. how you can um, sort of be with your thoughts rather than having to follow them dashing backwards and forwards in the way that we generally do. Exactly. And if I can add, I think it's also more relevant today because we're at the age where the more easily distracted by a lot of things. Even if, like, I think to myself, I'm doing a chore, I have to watch something or listen to something while I'm doing it. I'm never really focused. So uh, I think this is more relevant even now mm-hmm. because just taking a moment and just allowing and observing things um, has a kind of a different impact on you. Yeah, it, it's interesting when you finish reading the book or even as you're, as you're going about your daily life, say you're in the middle of it, I, I, I noticed how mindful moments would pass me by. So I, I would have I started to notice all the times where I could have been mindful. And yet I was, like you say, doing maybe three things at once. So having dinner, but also, you know, doing some work and also listening to something at the same time. And and it and it is amazing. He does tackle that head on. You know, what are we so afraid? Are we we're so afraid of our own thoughts that we don't want to sit with them for about five minutes? Yeah. And one of the greatest tips he gives is to choose like one mundane activity you do every day. Uh, for example, like brushing your teeth. 
And that's something he said, just choose that because you have to do it every, hopefully you have to do it every day. <laughs> to choose hopefully. Some, to choose something that you're doing and try to be, to meditate during that. So it really makes it easier because this is a moment, or if you're stuck in traffic, for example, yeah. these are moments we have to go through. We have no other choice. So choose those moments and try to make those if you can't squeeze anything else in. So I really like that he's considering people who are busy, who are working and, and still giving them an option of how to meditate. And I think what's lovely is the way that he shows his own um, developing self-awareness and, and realizations is a moment when he's on the tube in the UK and he's cross and he's fed up and he suddenly realizes, hold on, I could use this to meditate. And, and, and he uses that as an example of how we can come to the same realization. Yeah. And, and it's always the things that, that challenge you that you should use as gifts, as mm. tools to get better at meditation and better at training your mind. Um, he, he always talks about how we're very good at, okay, I'll, I'll meditate or I'll be good once I have the time and the capacity to do that. Um, because, you know, life takes over, but he's a, he's a strong uh, supporter of doing it anyway, of, of meditating in spite of all of the crazy things that might be happening in your life and however busy you might be. And this uh, is where there's a quote I really like in the book mm. that says, to begin, begin. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, and, that, and that's as straightforward, that, that's as difficult as it needs to be. <laughs> and what's lovely about the book is he tells you how to do it. I mean, it's mm. very, it's really nicely structured and very clear on how to start meditating and exactly what stages to go through. Um, there's one uh, excerpt that I want to read out because I think it's it's great for New Year. Um, he says, our practice slips when life takes over. We become busy and meditation becomes another thing on the list of shoulds. We all know we should eat healthy food and take regular exercise. We try so hard to be good. And then before we know it, our plans have collapsed and we've demolished an entire packet of biscuits. <laughs> I feel like maybe he was... Um, looking over my shoulder when he wrote this we don't always look after ourselves very well which is sometimes a form of self-loathing but maybe we feel we're not really worth it so why bother but we can transform this problem so he's he's constantly acknowledging all of the shortcomings that we have but it's very positive isn't it I mean yes. he, you never feel like he's telling you off for, for your yeah. mind wandering or for not being able to do it correctly all the time um, so I think it's it's a comfortable companion to have in your house i was thinking the, about your mind wandering off is that he tells you this is how it should be you know that that's what happens and then you always have something to bring your mind back to and that's the kind of the point it, that the point is your mind will wander and you bring it back mm, that's, exactly. that's what you're aiming to do um we're going to leave it there momentarily and um, we've got a lot more to talk about with regards to a monk's guide to happiness by gillong tubton um gillong by the way is the Title, title for Senior Monk. We've already briefly spoken about the gist of the book. There's a lot of meditation. There are gu There's a, a guided practice every few um, chapters or so. Um, and it's definitely an incredibly practical companion to meditation and getting your kind of mental health and happiness back on track for 2020. But let's talk a little bit more about some of the specifics. Now, we can't really have a New Year show without talking about the idea of self-help um, and that entire genre of books. So before I go into a specific excerpt from here, what do you both think about the self-help genre or section of the bookstore or library? Like, it's easy to be quite cynical about it, I think. And I think you fall into either loving them or tending to be a little bit cynical about the whole genre. What do you think about self-help? Um, I think uh, generally I am a little bit cynical uh, about self-help books. But uh, when I, found the, I find these gems where you can actually feel the authenticity of the author and they draw from experience and they show you how it impacted their lives, 
then I think I like I'm very invested. I completely agree. I think it's all about the quality of the book. And I'm a great believer that if you want to answer a question, find a book that will answer the question. And sometimes self-help books will absolutely do that. My cynicism, I think, like yours, is the vast plethora of books that really don't help anybody particularly. And I think there are quite a lot of those out there. But again, there's there's always going to be something for everybody. And if you have a problem that you want to try and solve, reading is a great way to start and the self-help section is probably a great way to start reading. So I've always thought that self-help and the, the moving towards that section of the bookstore and the wanting to better yourself, that all of that couldn't be considered as anything but entirely positive. I mean, why would, why would it be a negative thing to want to be the best version of yourself that you can be to put your best foot forward? Um, but Gelong Tipton says in there's a particular section called the celebration of the self, which I think is, a, is an intrinsic part of what he's trying to say about um, valuing ourselves and um over the community and we'll talk about this in more detail but he says that aim for the total realization of the self has also permeated the worlds of self-help and mindfulness with a desire to become the best you to achieve complete self-actualization and so on through this we can easily fall into the trap of perpetually grasping after an illusory sense of well-being leading to the frustrations which i described in chapter seven and you'll obviously have to read the book to find what those are but absolutely and i think that's a really good point it's called a monk's guide to happiness and do we all agree that you have to be happy all the time? And if you're happy all the time, how do you know that you're happy? So this is a sort of sort of philosophical question on this is that, you know, grasping after happiness, I think he's absolutely right, is not so helpful as finding ways to achieve it. And I think part of hopefully what he's explaining with the meditation is that it's something that comes and goes. Um, it's, he, he believes that happiness is a choice you can make. Um, within yourself and then I suppose it's how you are therefore resilient to what comes towards you and you can use meditation to have support that. I love talking about this book on air because it's it's I know that you're listening to this but if you're actually in the studio it's like you're watching people figure out the meaning of life <laughs> as they talk about the book because <laughs> you can't you I, I feel like you do like you do I think that um, we're kind of figuring out the, the meaning of, of everything that we've read. Yeah, while we talk about exactly. it. Exactly. And there's degrees of what bettering yourself is or being the best you because there's a very what feels a very superficial being the best me. And then there's the kind of the, the deep where you have to work for it. So Tubton is trying to make us work for it and to work out, you know, what it means to ourselves and how you use meditation to get to a different point. Yeah. My worry is always is there any intrinsic selfishness in really would putting yourself and your own needs and desires to be better within yourself above other people what's the community aspect how does helping yourself have other people there's just a whole lot of questions in there is this not at the end of the day a self-help book i think it is but it's so within the self-help book Mm. there is a section on how helping yourself helping yourself is uh, see yeah just just to add on that i think what i i liked about uh, the book is that it kind of felt like a meditation session because he does repeat things every now and then that you might, if you've, your mind has escaped where the book is going. So he, he reminds you every now and then that when you meditate, you have to start with an intention. And this intention is, is that I want to help myself uh, to be able to help others. And that is coming from a place of kindness and love. And I think this is a really important thing. Like he says that every time you do the exercise, start with this intention and feel it in your body. So I think although that 
um, it can be seen as a selfish um, selfish kind of move for you to spend that much time with yourself. But in reality, you're doing it to help other people, to help yourself, to help other people and to be kind. So um, I think it's both. I think you are being selfish. You're also being selfless at the same time. And maybe it comes into the sort of the self-care movement, which I think is, is very valid that if you don't spend time making sure you're OK, it is very hard to look after other people as well. Yeah, and he, he also goes into that when he talks about empathy and compassion, which is another really interesting section of the book as well, that the two are not created equally. And there, there's a big emphasis on being more empathetic and that this is a positive thing. But what was the analogy that he used to describe the difference? So the analogy is saying that if you see um, someone drowning um, and then you drown with them, then you're not really you're not really helping in any way. I think it's interesting because I'd learned in the past about the difference between sympathy and empathy, where sympathy is sort of feeling pity for somebody and empathy is feeling with them. Mm. And I think that goes on. He then goes on to take compassion as the next stage where you're taking your empathy and then you're using it for helpfulness. Um, and I guess what I had learned, and this was about... Um, supporting mothers with young babies is that you go you, the empathy allows you to be with them and help them work their own way out and find their um, own solutions um, and I'm not sure I haven't quite figured out as you can tell in my mind yet where his compassion takes you beyond that I think it's good though because I mean any any book where you feel like you've read it and you've got all of the answers I mean that that's it kind of defeats the purpose I think that the point is that you're supposed to work through this yeah um, and and it's not just about reaching happiness as this 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 goal that you have on a to-do list which i think is a big mistake that we make and that he he um he highlights is that we were often adding happiness as like a, a new year's resolution list i mean which, yep. that's how i've even framed it on the mm. on the show today is how can we achieve happiness and he says it's not a thing that you it's not a thing that you achieve and i think the key word is sustainable happiness he, yes. he uses that over and over again yeah. Um, and it's it's not this this fleeting thing. It's not this kind of like sugar rush. It, 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 there's a comparison, I think, because he does quite a lot of work in the corporate world, helping businesses find um, this yeah. sort of meditation and, and 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 support. And I think there was an example where he says that he, somebody asked him, "So how long is this going to take?" And there's a sort of answer as well. You know, if you want me, if I was coming in to help your employees get fit, would we go for a run for a month and then sit, sit and eat crisps for the rest of our lives, and it would all be fine? <laughs> it's a similar kind yeah. of. I mean, to be fair, maybe he was timekeeping because they have an event. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but no, I mean, I, uh, I totally agree with you on that. I mean, I think um, he even talks about how one of the myths is that people view that uh, when you're meditating, you're kind of becoming lax and you're losing ambition because you're just content with everything around you, that you've, you're happy and happiness is wrong. But I think that's the myth that I definitely had, is that when you're meditating, you're, everything is, even when you're in experience, you're happy. So you don't have to uh, have an ambition to achieve anything. But I think he also explains how that's not true. You can still be busy, you can work, you can be passionate and still have time to meditate. If anything, it will sharpen the edge. Mm. Um, for me, this is a really big thing that I had a misconception about. And he says it's the way of refreshing yourself and that yeah. you, know, you can come out of meditation and feel a lot better in yourself and about yourself and, and, and rested almost. He used an interesting word there, sharpening, which I, I think is, is exactly the, the switch that I had to make in my head when I was thinking about meditation as well. And and I, I'm, you know, I was the same. I, I constantly thought that anybody, you know, if you if you meditate too much, that you might become not sharper, but but calm to to the point of being dull. Yeah. And he basically takes you through how that is a massive misconception. Mm -hmm. And if anything, it makes you sharper. It makes you more aware and able to tackle the busy lives that we lead. And he definitely knows because, as you learn from the book, he's been on. Was it a 
four-year retreat. Four-year yes, meditation. Four meditation. Retreat, yeah. mm. Which is an interesting concept again in, in, in taking yourself away from the world for that length of time. Oh, and fun fact, do you know what film he worked on? Um, not The Pop Love Quiz. Guru? No, no, not The Love Guru, no. No, he was the meditation and mindfulness consultant for Doctor Strange. Really? Yeah, for Benedict Cumberbatch and I, Tilda that's Swinton. A, that's one of my... I love that movie. Yeah, so he was the meditation and mindfulness consultant for that film. I love that. So, yeah. This is, this is really great. Uh, but, yeah, I agree with you. I think one of the things that I would like to ask him when, I have the, when we have the chance when he's here is about his time mm. in the retreat. Just Because uh, here he really touches on it. He just says... You know, he was in the retreat uh, without going into detail. So I think it's really interesting to know what happens mm. in the retreat that, you know, you become more focused. and Because you get the feeling it was very, very hard at first. And then, you know, he, he, he got into it. So I think it'll be yeah. fascinating that comes up in the session we have at the festival. And everything that I said at the beginning there about being the best you that you can be and putting your best foot forward. Uh, some of the things that Galong says that we should be wary of saying when we think about how we think about happiness um, and it's not a, a goal that we stick on a list to try and achieve it's something that we have to work out in the same way that we would have a fitness regime for our bodies we need to have a kind of meditation practice set aside to achieve long-lasting and sustainable happiness um, guilt is something that I wanted to talk about as well I think this this time of year particularly if we've if we've made a plan to be better and healthier it, this is the time of year when we start feeling guilty when we don't necessarily achieve all of our goals yeah, what's interesting is that he mentioned in the book that uh, in tibetan language they don't have a word for guilt they don't have a word for it no at and all I, no not at all i mean as uh, based on what he mentioned there's no word and i think that's interesting because i think they believe in inner goodness uh, from when uh, people are good, uh, from when people are born, not good. And that is that is the focus, I think, um, uh, of, uh, of what they do. And I found that very interesting. And I think uh, this can be misconstrued in a way that, okay, I, I won't feel guilty about anything. I think, I don't think that's the, I think, I don't think that's the intention here. I think it's just to focus on your inner goodness and how to get back. And even if, let's say, you're talking about a a regime like a, a diet or something you're doing, if you slip, I think the goal is not to punish yourself and just create all these negative thoughts and no, I can't do it. No, but I think it's more focusing on how you can get back to it um, in a much in a way that won't punish you, basically. Mm, so if I demolish an entire packet of biscuits, I just need to move on from it. I think you acknowledge it. Acknowledge and, it. Okay. <laughs> and then move acknowledge on. Acknowledge that I've demolished an entire packet and myself. perhaps don't do it again tomorrow. Okay. All right. I, th I feel like I, I can <laughs> cope with that <laughs> as, as a structure moving forwards. Um, so meditation is obviously a big part of this book. We've talked about that. We've also talked about the whole concept of self-help. And we've, we've asked whether or not that this book and what it's asking us to do is inherently selfish. And we've talked about that a little bit as well. Other moments from this that you um, that you really enjoyed, um, that you any, any other takeaways that you have from this book, Michelle? Um, I think for me, uh, one of the things that... Um, um, I liked is, uh, which I think is very important in the book, is the exercises that he gives you in between in various formats of it, like from a very beginner person who has never meditated before to a, a more advanced level. And they're kind of peppered in the book rather than just having a chapters for exercise. So every time he talks about, let's say, mindfulness, then he'll give you a, a small exercise for five minutes that you can start with. And then when you move to the next chapter, when we're talking about, for example, forgiveness, 
Um, then there's another exercise. So I really like that uh, it kind of keeps uh, the format very interesting for me when you're reading it. And I think it builds them up. It's sort of taking it out into the structure of the book. It's really nicely done so that you feel that you're <clears throat> developing and learning with each with each new exercise. It adds a little bit more to what he's already done. So he kind of takes you through to a better level. Um, I like how he constantly questions or makes you question where you think your source of happiness comes from. Because I know a lot of people who have maybe turned to something like this who consider themselves perfectly happy people um, who don't necessarily need a guide to happiness. Um, but he does say to relax, people tend to throw themselves about in a darkened room. He's got nightclub in brackets there. <laughs> Rush around shopping, climb mountains or slouch on the sofa where their minds in a slightly burned out state. We think we are relaxing, but are we really? Perhaps we are settling for small hits of relaxation that depend entirely on specific triggers. Meditation, on the other hand, provides a deep lasting peace rather than the dopamine hit that leaves us hungry hungry for more and I think that's that's something that he's constantly returning to is are you are you genuinely happy in a sustainable long-term way that will get you through moments of of darkness you know the moments that you can't plan for in life where tragedy strikes um, I think he, he also says that meditation isn't just about helping you when everything is good it's it's providing those tools for you to to cope when things get bad as well I think that's absolutely right and I think as a teacher, he clearly is really experienced and mm. knows exactly what he's doing. You feel very confident in him as um, an expert or as a teacher, as someone who can lead you through and who knows what they're talking about. Oh, I thought it was interesting when he talked about the fact that he'd been doing the kind of tour and talk circuit for about 12 years and his mentor told him that he was starting to just parrot the same things yes, over yeah. and yeah. over um, to the point where he started questioning you know do I actually practice what I preach anymore and that's when I think he went to do this four year, four -year retreat. Yeah. retreat in Arran in Scotland um, and five months of that was he, he took a vow of complete silence. I mean, do you think you would cope in that situation? I think I'd find it very hard. You'd have to be so motivated to feel that it had a really positive outcome for you. Michelle? Um, I genuinely, like, I would like to try it. And actually, after reading the book, I was just researching if this um, monastery in Scotland is still there and if they accept like, people. You're accepting? Like, yeah, I mean, no, I mean, not that I... Uh, want to, I don't know if the word is apply or what, but not for five months, but maybe like for a week. Mm. I don't I don't know if that's a bad idea just to just to try it because you're in isolated environment, you know. And as he was telling us, he's disconnected. He's there's a vow of silence. I think it would be an interesting uh, just to see the impact on you. Oh, to be a fly on the wall. Mm. <laughs> that would be no, amazing. I, I have friends. Can we take me thirty that? minutes and like? <laughs> <laughs> And who found it really rewarding. So just, you know, people who have no, who are not, you know, otherwise connected, but who just find it really helpful to go on a retreat for a, a week or a month. Um, so uh, Galong, we're going to have to leave it there. Galong Tubton is um, a senior monk. He is coming to the Emirates Airline Festival of Literature in February. The wonderful Michal, um, thank you for joining us in the studio to talk about this book. And we're looking forward to hearing um, what you have to say with Galong on stage at the festival as I'm well. I'm very excited. I think I have a lot of questions and it's going to be a great session. There's just so much more to hear. Download our podcasts at DubaiEye1038.com.